The Low Post is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Baseball is back, and so are your favorite teams and players. Catch the best of the bigs all season on ESPN Plus with over 170 live MLB games featuring every star and every team in the league. Sign up now at ESPNPlus.com slash baseball. And with the NFL draft just two weeks away, don't forget to check out First Draft with Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to... The Low Post Podcast on a Monday afternoon where we are coming remarkably down the stretch of a rapid-fire NBA season. And so I want to talk today about my favorite subplot remaining in this season, which is seeds 3-7, to seven, and really maybe 3-10 to 10 if you want to get frisky, in the Western Conference, a.k.a. who does not want to play the Lakers and how badly do you not want to play them and where are they going to fall in the standings? The Lakers coming off a fantastic win over the Brooklyn Nets without basically, you know, most of the Lakers good players are now solidly in fifth, two games in the loss column ahead of the Blazers who have a negative point differential despite being nine games over 500, which you should get some kind of trophy for that. And three games over the Mavericks who have been surging until just terrible losses in the last week at home to San Antonio and at Houston, uh, who is terrible, obviously. Uh, and, And so the Lakers, by most projection systems, have them finishing, at least most commonly, in the fifth spot. Now, how most commonly depends on which projection system you're using. Basketball reference has the Lakers landing fifth, 54% of their time in the simulations. Other places are much less sort of definitive than that. And that sets you up for potentially a really stirring and massively important race between the Clippers and the Nuggets for the third seed and the right to avoid the Lakers in the first round. I mean, Clippers, Lakers, Nuggets, Lakers, you get some serious Spurs Clippers 2015 first round series vibes from that. Look up that series if you don't remember, but that's one of the greatest playoff series ever, arguably the greatest first round playoff series ever, ending essentially on a Chris Paul buzzer beater to win game seven. Uh, and then, but if you get the third seed, what if the Lakers fall to six and all of a sudden you're stuck facing the Lakers? In the first round, and that brings us to the race between, I think, will be Portland and Dallas for six. The loser goes into the play-in tournament as the number one seed in the play-in tournament at seven. But if you're seventh and you actually get the seventh seed, you might be okay with that. Maybe if you draw Phoenix, I don't know. I will say there is sort of a skepticism around the league that Phoenix is as good as their record and, and, and a really, truly elite playoff opponent. We'll see if that bears out. And then looming behind all this, Point Zion, who is just putting up 16 of 22 lines like it's easy to do. The Pelicans are only one game behind the Warriors for the 10th seed, looming as a play-in wild card. And the Warriors just lost James Wiseman maybe for the season over the weekend. So we have a race for six, a race for 11th, and the where are the Lakers falling derby. I love all of this. We could have some shenanigans. We could have some urgency at the end of the season. Basically the opposite of shenanigans, trying to get into that number three spot. I love everything about this. The West is a bloodbath. The East is like, hey, maybe the Hawks will finish fourth. Maybe the Hornets can hold on to fourth. The West is having real stuff going on. And to help us sort it all out, because my brain already hurts, one of my favorite guests, the people's favorite guests from Sports Illustrated, it still takes getting used to, Mr. Chris Herring. How are you? I'm all right, man. Another another one of those days in America. But what? Well, 
I was going to say, what can you do? There's a lot we could do, but who knows whether we'll ever do it. But that aside, I'm doing okay. How are you, my friend? Yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to transition out of that except to say. Who knows? I don't know. I've done. I mean, you and I, I both, pod- men. We've, we've you, discussed you and, I, you and I both. We, we, we've covered law and we've covered. Other stuff in this country, which someday we'll fix it. I don't know if we'll be here when they do it, but um, it's a lot. And I know I didn't give you <laughs> any any help there in terms of transitioning, but I, I know that's where part of my focus is. But hopefully you're doing okay. Hopefully folks are doing okay as they listen. Well, and we might get this Timberwolves game. We're, we're recording this at 3.15 Eastern time right now where it's uncertain whether the Timberwolves will play tonight in the aftermath of yet another police shooting of an unarmed black person and it just goes on and on and on um with as you said just no apparent end in sight even though there are many solutions in sight that if we all committed to maybe maybe we could actually do something but that's a whole nother uh a whole nother thing right so i just outlined the uh let's do our day job then i guess um (laughs) i just outlined the western conference playoff race for you I, i i'm delighted by all of this it is a wonderful distraction from actual things um I, I do think I, I think Portland, Dallas, Memphis, San Antonio is a group of teams that I'm very excited to dig into. They're sort of they're not. I mean, Dallas is close to a mainstream team because of Luca. Portland is just Dame and like the oh yeah, the team is like ancillary to the national discourse about the Portland Trailblazers. So I'm anxious to, to dig into those teams. So I'll just let's just start sure. of those of those four teams. Who do you think is the best team qualitatively? Well, I, I mean, I think. I think if we're talking about for what I think we're talking about, which is the playoff race, I I don't really want to play Dallas at all. Um, Doesn't mean that you can't take them out. Doesn't mean that they're lethal, but you know, of all those teams, you know, maybe you're talking about the player that might just be the toughest to stop. You know, maybe it's Dame, maybe it's Luca, but I think Luca's got a pretty good team around him that, that fits him pretty well. And I think that we've kind of seen at their top level, that that's a team you don't really want any business having to play. We saw that with the Clippers last year, despite, you know, Porzingis being uh, hampered and, and out. I think he had one of those games where didn't he have two techs or fouled out he got or something. Ejected, he got ejected and then injured. Yeah. So there's that. And keep in mind that Jalen Brunson didn't play, um, you know, once they hit that part of the season with the bubble and the playoffs. So, and he's been, well, he's been bad the last couple of games, but had been on fire before that. So I don't really want any business having to play Dallas. You know, as you mentioned, they've had a couple of really bad losses lately. But, you know, they, they looked pretty good before that. Even some guys that in the past have just kind of been wishy-washy. You mentioned Hardaway in your, um, in your 10 Things column. Um, I wrote about Brunson, their, their bench play. They've got some guys off their bench that can easily finish games for them. Um, why, is the Brunson, why is Brunson not as good a 60-man-of-the-year candidate as Jordan Clarkson? Why is that race, like, over? When it's not even clear to me that Jordan Clarkson, who I really like and has had a nice season, is the best candidate from his own team with Joe Ingles is shooting like 9,000 percent. He's on pace to break <laughs> the NBA record for true shooting percentage. Because it's because because six man is probably at least mine, maybe yours too. Least favorite award because it's always kind of given. No, to the most improved. Sport. Most improved. I've, I literally lost 45 minutes of sleep last night because I my brain remembered for some reason I need to start making my list of most improved candidates, which is like a 60-person list before I start whittling it down. Right. It, just ru- it just ruins my life 
for a day right. and a half. Well, so, I mean, at least with most improved, it's, it's, well, I know, and I also know the way you approach awards is that you, you lose sleep over it, which maybe it'll sound silly, dramatic for people that do the job we do. I, I wish people would lose sleep over it. Um, as, as far as the, the ones that are close, as far as the ones that actually trigger contract stuff, which granted that should not be our problem to solve, but I know that you put the work into it. I know that you sit and study and study and study, which is what should happen. Um, six man is probably my least favorite because no matter how much studying certain people put into it, I think it turns into kind of who's scoring a lot in a, you know, in a bench role. Um, if they play for a really good team, even better. Um, you know, if they happen to be the best bench scorer on a really good team, even better. Um, and quite frankly, it, you know, I, I still remember being on the Knicks beat um, and at one point, you know, one of the writers saying, I feel, I feel well, like I'm, this is a sentence that, that, that you have, if you had a therapist, a lot of your stories would start with that <laughs> sentence. I remember I was on the Knicks beat. <laughs> probably some of it, probably not this year. Cause they've been, they've been fun to watch and uh, interesting to watch the, their game last night was interesting and fun. Um, but yeah, I remember, I remember one of the writers saying, uh, you know, I remember Jamal Crawford played really well against the Knicks. And I was like, okay, that was one of the 82 games he played or less or however many he played that year. But, you know, it, it's just – it's one of those awards where uh, – I guess every award has the potential to work that way. But it's just – it turns into, like, you look at the five guys that average the most off the bench. And, you know, too many people, I think, treat it that way. And I think it puts a lot of people at an immediate disadvantage that Taj Gibson's in. The Andre Iguodala's and the other guys that do a whole lot of stuff off the bench, which you're, those you're, aren't you're, traditional you're, guys. To, to be clear, you're talking about past candidacies for Todd Gibson and Andre Iguodala, not current Very clear. candidates. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, I think you still get into the same problem where Clarkson, you know, especially the way he started the season, you, you totally get why someone like that is in the conversation and why they should be considered. And I think it almost kind of becomes a secondary way to to reward Utah for what the, the sort of season they're having. Um, given that they probably all have a really, really serious top three MVP candidate. But, yeah, like you said, Ingles deserves to be in the conversation. Brunson has been incredible, um, you know, but is probably never going to be in, in a real, real deep conversation for most people that are looking at scoring. And you normally have kind of the usual suspects that are in that conversation because it seems to be more of a scoring-oriented uh, conversation for most folks. Let's go over the Mavs because, uh, you know, the, the coronavirus and the protocols just destroyed their season for the first 20 games. They are now 29 and 23. They're 10th in offense, 14th in defense. Their defense has gotten a lot better as the season has gone on. Ninth in net rating or scoring margin, whatever, whatever you want to call it. 20 and nine in their last 29 games. Uh, uh, in that in that span, they have the fourth best net rating in the league and an offense that would rank about almost neck and neck for number one. Uh, for the season, they have found their juice again. Whatever their whatever, it was one of those things where you know it when you see it. And their offense was just stuck completely in mud at the start of the season. Now you're seeing Luca and P KP hitting on some of those give and goes that are just so fun to watch. Brunson and Hardaway coming off the bench is an incredible one-two punch and gives and gives them a ton of flexibility if they want to shift a little more offense-oriented at any point in games, including down the stretch by flipping one or both of those guys in for Richardson 
and Finney Smith, uh, who both have, uh, Finney Smith in particular has been hugely valuable to their team. Josh Richardson is up and down offensively, good defensively. They are rounding in to the kind of versatile team, two-way team that I thought they could be, even if I thought their best lineup was going to be uh, Richardson, Hardaway, Finney Smith, Luca, KP. I, I still kind of think that might be their best lineup. That lineup has not been very good this season. Um, I and, and by the way, I think part of this is Porzingis is such a lightning rod. People just love to hate Porzingis because when he looks bad, he looks so like he's a gangly, slow 7-3 dude. So when he looks bad, when he gets pushed around under the glass, when he's slow to rotate, he just looks like so slow. I think he's having an underrated season. He's averaging 21 a game. His shooting numbers are pretty good now. His free throws are down. He's starting to move around a little better. Last night against the Spurs, a game Dallas should have won and lost, he had like a bunch of pump and drives. He had a dunk. He's like looking friskier again. I I actually think he's kind of had an underrated season given how polarizing he can be. Would I, even his post-up numbers. People hate when he posts up because all he does is flick up these stupid mid-range jumpers. His post-up numbers, I looked them up on second spectrum. I, I'm sorry to the Kristaps Porzingis haters brigade. They're pretty good. They're they're above average for a high volume post-up player. And that Porzingis gives the Mavericks a chance to be dangerous. I still think they're one guy away uh, from being really, really dangerous, but they're a good deep team with a lot of flexibility and they've been playing really well lately. And the biggest change from from not only their defense, but they started making threes. Uh, They shoot the fifth most threes in the league since they were, since their low point, uh, whatever their record was, I think they were nine and 15 or nine and 14. Since then they're shooting 39% on threes. And Luca, well, I mean, what what can you say? There's just no answer, and there's no defense that's excited to try to pretend there is an answer over over a seven game series. I mean, we could talk about what some of the answers are. The Clippers um, tried a lot of them in that playoff series. Um, uh, you'll see a lot of teams stick wings or fast power forwards on Porzingis and hide their centers on Finney Smith. And Finney Smith, that's the, that's what the Jazz did, and he hit a bunch of threes with Rudy on him. And that's fine. I mean, we can talk about that, but the Spurs toggled through everything last night. Luka just has an answer for everything. They're just no fun to play against. Yeah, I mean, my, my – and I don't know if this is what you're going to get to next or if we're going to do this with, with each team. I think my fear with Dallas is, is one um, – do you hit certain points where um, you end up kind of toggling certain guys into lineup? So I watched their game last week. I think it was against Houston. And like you said, you've got Hardaway who, you know, it's kind of night and day watching him now versus when I was covering him in New York. You know, there, he's it, is, one there, of the there it is. There it is again. Therapist, man. Uh, you, you are, you've become my therapist because they, they come up in every t- the conversation we've got. Um, you know, he's one of the league leaders in, in charges taken, which, that is so, you know, uh, the antithesis of what I watched when I was covering him. Um, but, you know, he, he, he's active defensively. Um, but you do see some of the guys, you know, at least one of the guys you brought in to kind of fill that role for you defensively. Was it that uh, – it was that, that Seth Curry trade where you bring in Josh Richardson. Josh Richardson. And he, you know, he, he has a great reputation as a 3 and D player. But, you know, watching that Houston game last week, what was he, 0 for 9? From three or whatever it was, but he's been wildly up and down. His shot release is still too slow for him to be a real three and D guy. And he talked about that with me before the season. I know I've I've got to get it faster. I'm working on it, but he's attacking the rim in the last month with a little more juice and finishing at or above the rim with a little more juice. So that that's a good sign. 
Yeah. So, so you know, that I, I do think at a certain point, obviously, it's like anything where you want to see which guys have it going on a given night. I, I think what continues to be their struggle, and here comes another New York reference, sort of-ish, is that Porzingis, uh, you know, I think he had 20 and 10 at half last night, if I'm not mistaken, he against did. San Antonio. And, you know, and he goes out with a whimper so often where he fouled out last night, which you can, you can live with that a little bit. You, you would prefer it not happen. But, you know, there are other games, too, where if you look back at that Houston loss that they had last week, he was really the only guy that was scoring at a high level and consistently. Luca was, I think, nine for – it was probably Luca's worst game of the season. He was like nine for 23 or nine for 26 for 23 points or something like that. And so you you really need Porzingis in a game like that. And um, whether it's that he's not really demanding the ball, whether it's that guys, you know, Brunson is not, the, you know, the best guard in the league as, as far as his peripheral vision, and maybe he's not finding guys enough. Maybe Luka is taking stuff into his own hands too much. Porzingis just kind of evaporates and just kind of vanishes sometimes, even when he's played a really good three-quarter game, where in the fourth quarter he's just not involved or he, you know, he, because he's not involved when he does get the ball, he tries to do too much in a possession or two. So that's where I, I worry a little bit. You know Dallas can finish games because they've got one of the best players in the league. It's just making stuff happen. But um, that's one of the, the things I look at. It's just if you could get more consistency out of Porzingis in those fourth quarters, that's, that's one of the things I'm concerned about, along with the fact that you do kind of have some moments where your, your best defender, one of your best defenders, whether – um, if, if you are making an offense for defense switch with throwing Brunson in there, and he's okay defensively, but if you're taking Richardson out or taking Finney Smith out in a late game because they're not shooting well, um, they are much improved defensively, certainly over the last month or two. But I wonder in, in cases whether you've got quite enough defense or as much as you'd like if one of those guys just goes really cold in a series. Finney Smith, Finney Smith has just done a remarkable job turning him into turning himself into, I mean, he feels essential to what they do from undrafted afterthought to essentially he's up to 37 and change uh, from three. Um, I think the Mavericks are going to finish sixth. They have the easiest schedule among the Western conference playoff contenders the rest of the way. They have two, they have a back to back or not a back to back a baseball series, a two game baseball series against the Lakers at home in a week, basically, a week, 10 days. So LeBron is probably not going to be back, according to Woj's reported timeline, for those two games. So if you're the Mavericks, you're like, if we win both these games, we can help ourselves get to sixth, and we can help the Lakers get to fifth, and that works out very nicely for us. Um, but I, I think they're going to finish sixth. And Porzingis, interestingly, a, a nice window into how good Luka is and, and, a, and a sign for when Porzingis is engaged. If you watched the first half of that game last night when they were rolling and KP was putting up 20 and 10, the Luka KP pick and roll, the Spurs were trapping because you can't drop back on Luka. He's proven that over. If you drop back on him, he's just going to hit you with floaters. He's going to get into his bag in the mid range and you're just going to get picked apart one way or another. So they're, they're, they're up to touch or trapping him. Porzingis is rolling into open space. And when Porzingis rolls, when he's just not out there floating out to three every single time. Now, the trap, that unleashes the roll for him. It's an easy read for him to make. But still, you got to make it. And he got into the lane for some dunks and some easy finishes. And you could see the Spurs talking. Because the Mavs would have one shooter on the left side, two shooters on the right side. And 
they the Spurs help defenders would say, well, I'm not supposed to help because I've got one shooter over here, and if I leave, no one's there to help me. But but I'm on the weak side. But no, you person on the side with two shooters, you should help. And they're talking it through, and then they decide, you know what, we're going to try to drop back a little bit. And when they drop back, KP popped out for a three, wide open. They ran another defender at him. He found Finney Smith for a dunk. They just have an answer. It was a window into when Porzingis is engaged and willing to mix it up as Luca's pick and roll partner. They have an answer uh, for every scheme. And not only that, I thought last night, I, I should have looked it up before this podcast. I bet last night was the most post-ups Luca has had in a game this season. And one thing I've liked about them in the last month is they have let him be like a LeBron-style mismatch-hunting bully. Like against Houston, it was, where's DJ Augustine? Bring his man up the screen for me. Right. Last night, it was, you get you got Derek White at me? On me, I'm going in the post. You got DeJounte Murray on me? I'm going in the post. Now, DeJounte Murray's arms are a menace to society. He might knock away the entry pass. <laughs> I love that they have let him lean into that style of play because for the playoffs, it's going to be very, very useful. And then they, when Porzingis goes out, they bring in Powell and they give him a vertical threat to lob to. They 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 have the ability to get clicking because they just have a centerpiece who can do so much stuff. Yeah, I mean, like I said, and I I feel like more often than not, when you and I are podcasting, we've got questions that you're, you're throwing questions at me that are nuanced. You know, I could try to twist myself into a pretzel here to make it more of a nuanced answer, but I just think very clearly that to me, of the teams that are in contention that's the team I don't want to play of, of the teams that are not that I'm looking forward to having to, to deal with Zion or anybody else in a playoff series, but very clearly, you know, at a, at a level where, you know, even if you're the Clippers, even if you are, um, you know, Utah Phoenix, I don't, I, I just really don't want to play Dallas if I can help it in a first round series, at least I really don't want to have to face them. And we haven't mentioned Maxi Kleba, who's injured, um, and who gives them even more versatility. And in fact, their starting lineup is plus a lot um, in the most minutes of any lineup. It's it's you know Richardson, Luca, Finney, Smith, Kleba, Porzingis, which is a huge lineup too. That's one of the cool things about the Mavericks. They can put these little guards in and get. You know, we haven't even mentioned Trey Burke. JJ Redick is going to make his debut maybe in like four hours against the Sixers. Again, we're recording this Monday afternoon. Uh, I'm not even sure there's like a lot of space for J.J. Redick to play, but they're surely going to give him a try because if they can juice up their shooting without totally killing their defense, well, Luka's going to find him, and, and they don't have like a knockdown perimeter guy, a guy that you really worry about. Uh, but then they can go huge with these like Finney Smith, Luka, and Kleba are all 3.5s, all kind of power forward, small ball power forward phys- physically. I mean... Um, and the other, the on the flip side though, it was interesting last night. The Spurs hunted Luca on defense in a way that I, I teams will hunt him now and then, but I haven't seen a team go at him as relentlessly as the Spurs did last night, seeking him out just like Luca was seeking out mismatches in other games. That it, maybe teams are going to do that to him in the playoffs and say, "Hey, man, we're going to make you guard." Do you see that as something where you're just trying to tire him out a little bit? Because I remember. Um... No, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm going to go one answer without mentioning the Knicks here. Um, that, that's that's part of what you try to do sometimes. Was, particularly, no, no, no. I, I want to hear who it was. Who were the Knicks? <laughs> were, were someone trying to tire out Carmelo Anthony? What was going? What was going um, on? That was that was part of it. Is that I think the Pacers had decided that they wanted to try to do that just with uh, with all the post matchups that he would have to. I think it was like David West and people like that. That that's part of how you. I mean, 
to not have to deal with him and how, you know, everything he could throw at you when he was a one man band in, in New York. But uh, anyway, like I said, I'm going to go. Talk, well, let's, let's talk about Carmelo's new team then. Okay. Um, the Portland Trailblazers, who are, again, nine games over 500 with a negative 10 point differential for the season. That's, That's 10 points overall. They've been outscored by, lost at home to the Heat last night in a game that was not as close as the 107 98 score. Um, they are 29th in defense and fifth in offense. So despite some angst about they're actually down to sixth in offense after last night. And their offense has hit a little bit of a rough patch recently. Dame is in a little bit of a slump by Dame's incredible standards. Um, they're having some issues, I think, navigating teams that are just hell-bent on it's anybody but Dame. We're throwing the whole kitchen sink at him right from tip. I think those issues are solvable for them and, and maybe getting... Because we get so wrapped up into what we've just seen, I think maybe there's a little too much angst about them. Again, this is maybe the best offensive team of the Damian Lillard era in Portland and the worst defensive team. And if you're asking why the Blazers are not as good as the other teams and are, I think, my pick to finish seventh and lose in the first round, potentially, though, I think they could potentially beat Phoenix in a series if they get out of that play in. It's the worst defense that is the reason why. You can hem and haw about they need to be better against traps and this and that. Nothing matters until you're not the worst defense in the league, basically, which is what the Blazers are, uh, or the second worst anyway. Uh, and the only reason they're they're 31 and 22 or whatever they are is they've just been preposterous in close games. They are 21 and 7 in games that are within five points in the last five minutes. 16 and 6 in games that are within three points in the last three minutes. And if I read you Damian Lillard's shooting numbers in those games, you would just start laughing because it's absurd. And it's why he... Read them he, to me. I want to hear them. Read them. If you got them. Last five, last five minutes of close games, he's 38 of 68 from the floor. So I'm not that good at math, but that's well over 50%. 16 of 36 on threes. The last three minutes of close games, 19 of 31 from the floor, two-thirds, seven of 15 from threes. It's just, he's hitting the lot. He's hitting Dame, Dame time is just all the time. It's it's just constant. Um, <laughs> but I don't know if you can count on that. So my, my, um, my question to you then is, is there a roadmap for this team to become as dangerous as their record maybe would indicate that they should be? So I, I I see a universe in which it could exist ish maybe, um, you know I, I I I've been on your podcast several times and I've referenced this idea that I I feel like Portland is the team that every other year I'm just totally wrong about and I don't even think I came into this year with a take if anything I'm kind of preconditioned to think that whatever I think about Portland is going to be wrong. Uh, if I want, if I go all the way back, I think you and I might've done one preseason podcast or one early season podcast. And I was like, Oh, they got Covington. I like this for their defense. Did I think they'd be dominant defensively? No, I thought it would help. And as you and I both know, Covington is kind of more of a guy that, you know, is going to be in the right places at the right time. He's not a great one-on-one defender. Um, and yeah, we've seen their defense look awful. And I don't know that I trust their defense enough to, to knock off a two seed in a seven game series. Could they do it? Absolutely. Dame can get hot. The rest of their shooters can get hot. They take a lot of threes. Um, 
The thought I keep going back to, though, is the idea that, like you said, they have not dealt very well with teams that trap, the teams that decide that they're going to play like a really aggressive, kind of a little bit less, maybe a little bit more at times than what we saw against Steph in those finals against Toronto, where you're just throwing almost kind of kitchen sink stuff at, at Dame, and you were really able to do it when they were without CJ, um, without Nurkic being there. I guess on some level – you need so much offense to kind of counteract that when you're not playing any defense. And I don't trust them to do that over seven games. Norm Powell has looked great, um, you know, offensively. But that trade was so interesting to me just because, you know, just as we saw uh, Gary Trent the other day (laughs) go off. I mean, it's like it kind of was robbing Peter to pay Paul in a way. It was like the same sort of trade-off for what – what they do a lot of times. So I, I just don't trust this team very much. I love the season Dame has had. I wrote a piece recently about um, Jokic and how I think he clearly is the MVP at this point. I had a lot of Blazers fans saying, like, you're not respecting what Dame is doing and just keeping them afloat. No, you're a hater. You're just a hater. You're just another hater. <laughs> another hater. Well, most of them did say that, which credit to them because I feel like they could have. Uh, but it, you, you shouldn't – not that you, you don't – I don't think anyone wants him to have to do that much. It's wonderful that he has, but you also wonder if on some level it wears him down. And we saw him get hurt last postseason, and you hope that that's not the case now just from having to overuse him and ask too much of him. Um, It's so much offense, and you need – I mean, we've seen historically you need more of a balance than what they have. And um, maybe they can flip a switch, but I just don't see it right now. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. Here's the roadmap. The roadmap starts and maybe ends with Yusuf Nurkic getting back to 100%. Because Nurkic is a good defensive center. Maybe a very good defensive center. Ennis Kanter eats rebounds for every meal, but he's not a good defensive center. With Nurkic on the floor this season, their defense is more than respectable. It's better than average. When Nurkic is off the floor they honestly might as well just play four on five and have somebody cherry pick their defense has been so bad. Now, the exception to the Nurkic rule was the bubble last year when he was coming back from injury and their defense was bad anyway with or without him on the floor. I think, you know, look, 
the playoffs, what's so cool about the playoffs, obviously, is it is all about matchups. And that's why we'll see teams in the last week of the season thinking about their head-to-head opponent. And the thing with the Clippers and the Blazers, the, the Blazers in the past have looked at the Clippers as, well, those those big wings, uh, we're just fresh meat for them. All these little guards, we've got all these little guards running around. Even Norm Powell is 6'3". We can't do anything with Kawhi and PG and even Marcus Morris, who's going to go ham once every three or four games. I, you know, I get that. I, I, I don't see why this team is so ill-equipped defensively if, if, if Nurkic can get going. Covington is fine. He's good. I liked that trade for them. He's up to 38% from three effort. He was awful for the first right. two months of the season. Um, Powell has a 6'11 wingspan now. Is he going to get overwhelmed? Yeah, even Jimmy Butler was kind of bullying him and shooting over him last night. So I, I get it. Throwing in Derek Jones Jr. gives me length, but it's going to compromise my offense, even though he's shooting 33% on threes, which is a career high for him on a career high number of attempts. I just feel like this team, yeah, God, for if Zach Collins ever plays, that would help, I guess. I mean, I just don't know what to project about that. Um, I, I feel like they have a little bit more answers than they've had in the past on defense if, if Nurkic can give them 30 quality minutes a night. If he can't, they're roadkill. If he can, I'm just not psyched about playing this team. Now, I, we just we just have to see it. And I, I don't think schematically, I think schematically they've been a little over the, all over the place this year. I, and, and I think they're almost panicking because their defense is so bad. At the beginning of the season, they were they were attacking the pick and roll much more aggressively than they have in the past. And you could see they were a little discombobulated. Even last night against the Heat, and you'll see this in some games, they'll start with the drop-back scheme that Terry Stotts has largely favored for his nine years there. And then suddenly Nurkic will be hedging pick and rolls or Cantor will be blitzing pick and rolls and the help assignments get confused. You can see them fighting it. They foul too much. They don't defensive rebound well enough. Um, but... I just don't think they should be this bad. But if 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 their ceiling is just kind of bad, then I don't really know what 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 to make of them. But their starting five, which is brand new, so take the numbers with a grain of salt, is plus thirteen per hundred possessions. Really good on both ends of the floor. And Nurkic is just such a massive upgrade over Canner in the middle that I you know I don't think they're going to win around, but I'm not. I'm not giving up on them as a team that could put something interesting together. We'll see. I mean, my my thing with them is this, and I I was about to present it, you know, and saying like I, I hate to say this, but I said this. I wrote this I think four years ago, um, and I maybe said it once on your podcast before. I remember comparing um, Dame and CJ, which I know they have not played. A whole 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 lot together this year because of the injury. I compared CJ and Dame to um, NBA Jam characters years ago um, because the, the team was just so offense heavy, and you know at the time um, you weren't seeing a whole lot. I remember they had like a historically bad playoff series. I can't remember what year that was. It must have been probably New Orleans. 20s, New Orleans. 20s, yeah. Oh, when when Drew Holiday just ate them for lunch. Yeah. Um, if I remember correctly. So, you know, and, and it was a series where I, I don't know that either one of Dame or CJ averaged like more than three assists per game. Yeah, or, they were they were the third seed and they got swept and waxed. And it was a very, very tenuous moment for the organization. 
Right. And I, so I, I fully recognize all the injuries they've had this year. And like you said, they've been much better defensively with Nurkic there. Nurkic has had some really rotten injury luck um, in, in his time, since, particularly since he signed the deal that he did. I, but my fear is if, if you don't make some progress this year or show anything in the postseason, if you do make it there, like what, what are you angling for long term here? with this group. And I, I, at a, at a certain point, you know, and I know Dame gets a lot of points and kind of plaudits for just, you know, I think one of the reasons he's a favorite league wide is because he's kind of taken the stance, like help or no help. This is where I want to be. This is the only place I want to be. Um, which that's totally fine. And you, you've already kind of shown that he's worth that, I think to make him kind of a super max guy and for him to be there. But you know, like was what, it Paul? Is, was it Paul George that he went at earlier this year when he was like, "Keep, keep chasing the easy road." It was somebody <laughs> that went that went at him. He was like, "Keep chasing the easy road." I was like, "Damn, that is cold." Do not mess I, with Dame. Don't mess with Dame and the Blazers on social media. Remember when the Clippers were losing Game Seven and Dame and CJ just basically had a comedy routine on Twitter at the Clippers' expense that. for forty-five minutes? That was incredible. I remember that, and and that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that's the stuff that even if he's not your star if, if you're you know if you're for another team in the league it's really hard not to like dame I, I think dame kind of is he's kind of like one of those old western stars you know as as far as like a movie star something or just he just kind of has it and just kind of the way he carries himself the waving away at you know at, at paul george during a series to, you know to close out a series from half court damn near you love all that about him but i just wonder if this Team, and, and maybe it doesn't feel fully fair to say this about a team that has been banged up all year or Dame's had to carry them all year, but you do start to wonder at a certain point of like, does the composition of this team make sense? Uh, it's probably an overdue question. Just, you know, they had one good year in there defensively where they were solid, uh, you know, and maybe there was some three-point luck there, but um, it's it's been kind of composed this way more or less for a while. And, you're you know, you've had one run there where they made it to the conference finals, but at a certain point, you know, are you moving closer Which, toward that way, again? People poo-poo that because the brackets kind of broke right for them and then they got destroyed by the Warriors in four games. Well, I believe they led all four of those games at halftime or some, somewhat late into the games. I said this before when I did a, what turned out to be a very premature elegy for the 2021 Blazers. Um, like, ask the Clippers – how hard it is to make the conference finals. Ask the Jazz right now how hard it is to win a round in the playoffs. Like I don't care how the brackets fall for you. It's hard to make the conference finals. It's doubly hard in the Western Conference. It's just it's really really hard and they and and people shouldn't dismiss oh the Blazers lost in the second round this year. They made the conference finals that year but blah 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 they're a first round out. Well no, they weren't a first round out every year. All, all, those playoff runs matter they're they're the mark of a good team that at least makes you beat them and i'm telling you right now if nurkic can stay healthy a potential 2-7 series between phoenix and portland i don't think phoenix is like a heavy favorite to win that series i think portland has a chance in that series again defensively the if you had to boil down the blazers problem right now they're just taking nothing away they're giving up the rim and they're giving up threes and they're fouling. And at some point, you've got to take something away or you have no chance. And I don't know what the schematic answer to that is. Maybe just getting Nurkic back and, and leaning back into the way that you used to play. So let me ask you this, though. What's the answer to the trapping? Because I do think this is becoming at least a minor problem. It doesn't seem like it should be as big a problem as it is to me. But what, what when you watch them, what are you looking for for 
How can we help Dame out of this straitjacket? Well, some of honestly that that Miami game last night was real bad. I, I actually tweeted something and I like almost apologized for it right after. Where I was like, "This looks like yeah, I was like this is harsh," and I realized it was like some of these turnovers they're making look they look like they're point shaving. Like they were throwing the ball away, and CJ in particular had one really bad one where he I think he underhanded it to somebody. It had, you know a little bit past half court, and it just got taken away. I think Jimmy took it. Jimmy Butler took it away. So that's somewhere where I think Nurkic potentially helps a ton. You would hope at least is that you put him, what, you know, probably not at the free throw line. Maybe you put him up a little bit further depending on where they're trapping Dame, which is normally really early because of his shooting range. Um, you know, and you, you'd stick somebody there in the middle of the floor. If you bring your guards up a little bit closer to the three point line, basically you're not trying to run your offense before you make sure that Dame's been able to outlet the ball to somebody. Um, and then from there, you know, if it means you try to play faster, which that's certainly an interesting strategy to try to make use of, given how bad their defense is. But, you know, you just try to make some quick hit stuff work. You're a team that is taking a lot of threes anyway. And so if you can just get the ball out of Dame's hand, uh, you know, again, I don't know. It still comes down to other guys being able to beat whoever's on the other side. And that's kind of what the defense is trying to do to you anyway by forcing the ball out of Dame's hand. But you've got enough guys on offense that can shoot. Um, you've got enough guys that can do other stuff. But I feel like at least yesterday and in some other cases, it, it's a matter of even just making sure that Dame can make the pass. And it's almost – there have been times, like you said, where schematically it almost looks like they're surprised by it, even though this is something they've been seeing for a little bit of time. Well, part of it is that Dame is whatever he is, 6'3". Sure. Um, and not six seven like Luca or LeBron or the apex predators that that rule the NBA. And so if you throw size at him, he's got to throw those passes higher. The arms bother him, all of that. Um, and so that's part of it. But I agree. Like Nurkic is not a great playmaker in space, but he's capable. And if you just slip him the ball, even at the top of the arc, and let him play four on three, he can do that. More more to the point. That first pass, like, and they had some sequences against Miami where it's it's not that hard. Before the screen even comes, before the double even comes, you bring CJ or Covington up really high on the floor. Dame gets off the ball early. That guy's open. He or he swings it to Nurkic rolling to the rim, or he swings it to the guy in the corner, and you just start sw- the, the ball moves. It's like shorting the pick and roll in D'Antoni lingo. That works, and and I love whenever they get Dame moving off the ball. Yeah. Use Dame as a back screener. Have Dame start in the corner and come up. They got the good looks out of that um, almost every time they did. Like, there are in-house solutions to this. And like you said, it's not like they're not passing the ball to Alpha Rukamino and Mo Harkless anymore. Right. Robert Covington is a 39% three-point shooter. Norm Powell is a 43% three-point shooter this year. That's a little bit of an outlier. He's a good shooter and also can get from the arc to the rim and dunk on your face before you, and oh my god, how about the dunks yesterday? By the way, what was that? It was like that a Miles, hurricane. That Miles Bridges dunk. That Miles Bridges dunk on Clint Capella. First of all, the best part is how Clint Capella literally shakes it off and just starts jogging back up the court. Like I'm just gonna <laughs> just shake this off and keep it. Keep, keep on. I that stood dunk, on my couch, man. It was insane. They should have stopped the game for that dunk. They should have stopped the game <laughs> and just given everyone 90 seconds to collect themselves because that dunk was absolutely bonkers. You know, the best part about it though, was that um, 
I was watching I was watching the game live and I was watching the Hawks uh, version of it, the Hawks beat on League Pass, and they were I forgot it was the Hawks beat because the Hawks announcers were so excited about it. I think Rathburn is is their announcer and uh he he's really good and Nick Nico Nico get up for any good dunk. If anybody can appreciate a good dunk it's Dominique Wilkins, but they I mean it was like a clutch time, like a huge dunk and clutch the game was really close. And the Hawks announcers like went nuts and kind of like had to compose themselves a little bit. And and then they reminded themselves, you know, I think for the Hawks listeners, they're like, well, it's, you know, it's still only two points. It's still, you know, it's not, it, they still got a chance to win here, but it was well, so the, great. The Charlotte so great. announcer, the Charlotte announcer, Eric Collins, who goes, who, who reacts as if LaMelo Ball has discovered plutonium when he hits a mid-range jump shot. Like, <laughs> I think he's self, I think he's just self-combusted. On the, on, on the front right, I like Eric Collins, but, he, you know, I think he, that's one where you go crazy, where you stand up and go crazy great. and start screaming. Anyway, so my point is the Blazers have answers to this trapping stuff. It shouldn't be that hard, but Dame is not 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, They're going to see this. Again, it depends on the matchups. Some teams are going to have the personnel to do this. Some teams aren't. I'm not ready to declare it a crisis yet because I think Terry Stotts has some answers, and it's just a matter of get to them sooner use more variety, just do it right away instead of waiting for Miami to overwhelm you or Team X to overwhelm you for the first 18 minutes of the game. I think sometimes it's been a little slow. Um, by the way, can I tell you my favorite thing about the Blazers broadcast? Yeah. Well, to my two favorite things. Number one, Lamar Hurd is fantastic as the TV analyst for the Blazers. He sees the game really well in real time. He's He's funny. He's sociable. He's good at communicating. Number two, Dave's killer bread is the official bread of the Portland Trailblazers and sponsors like everything on the entire broadcast. Like the poor play-by-play guys, like remember Dave's Killer Bread is official bread of the Portland Trailblazers. After every like free throw, after every dunk. And Dave, the logo for Dave's Killer Bread is just, it looks like Jake the Snake Roberts, like a big, long mullet, mustache, super buff guy. Like why is Dave's Killer Killer Bread the voice of the Portland Trailblazers? Only the Blazers could have a bread company be the the voice of their organization basically I, anyway just now that i've incepted you with dave's killer bread you're never going to be able to escape it as part of the blazers broadcast they they just they just got some promotion out of this i, I, I doubt they have an ad with you guys but uh they, they're probably loving this but that also sounds like the most portland thing ever to to talk yeah, about this free throw bread. Spot, remember this free throw sponsored to be by <laughs> by dave's killer bread the I official bread of the portland trailblazers dave's that's a portland bread. thing if ever there was one yeah. Um, let's talk about a team that just does not get enough love. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies currently in the eighth spot. I would peg them as the favorites to finish in the eighth spot. Um, they have a eh, middle of the road kind of schedule. I think the rest of the way. Um, and I think they deserve huge credit at 26 and 25 coming off a a couple of bad losses over the weekend, but, um, for them to be 26 and 25 with Jaron Jackson, having not played the entire year, um, and John Morant having been good, but not outrageously good. Um, they're doing a lot of good things in Memphis. They're just a rock-solid team. What what intrig- do, you, do you think they can finish up strong here, and, and what intrigues you about the Grizz? Well, I, I sit with, I think, most games I watch, and um, I, I have my notebook open just to kind of write down ideas in general. Sometimes they're really... Well thought out, you know, I sent a couple things to one of my editors today. Sometimes they're 
nothing more than like a line where it's just, it's interesting and I want to do something on it, but don't know what to write. And um, I, I had in my notes yesterday um, with Kyle Anderson, I'm like, it feels like he's playing even slower than normal, but is like doing more than he did before when he was a spur. Um, so I, you know, it, it's just, it's, it, they're an interesting team to watch because you've got him, then you've got Ja who, you know, it's like he's teleporting places, which is just insane. And some of the looks that he gets for other guys. I'm really curious to look into this. I guess I shouldn't give this away over the air, but, um, or on a podcast when I haven't written anything on it, but it's like, part of me feels like between him and Valanciunas, when we talk about the Kobe assist guys, I feel like he has to be right at the top of the league in that, as far as like, like that's, that. That's a really good form of offense for them. Just he's getting so much attention. He, you know, he still gets to line even when, like you said, when he hasn't been as efficient at times and um, still like a lot of good things there. Um, you know, they're a young team and they play that way. I was watching the, the Pacers game that they had yesterday and <laughs> I tweeted about it with a couple of people. I'm like, they are treating transition defense today as if it is kind of an abstract thing. They're just not getting back at all. Um, and so they make a lot of young mistakes. And then you remember that, um, yeah, Jaron Jackson hasn't played at all. And he was easily one of my favorite, you know, rookies in the class that he was in. And, um, you know, the Justice Winslow, you know, that they just recently got him back. And that with all the time he missed it, that would take time. You know, it's going to take some time for them. It's a lot like last year in some ways where it's like, man, this would just give you a great feeling if they can just kind of make the playoffs or sniff the postseason given kind of what they're playing with given that, you know, this is a team that is what youngest in the league, if not youngest, probably second youngest in the league. So it's a team that I, I kind of feel like they're playing with house money more or less when I watch them play. Um, There are times it kind of feels that way where they treat it that way, but it's uh, you know, but they make, they make rookie mistakes a lot, but they're still, I I enjoy watching them play, which um, I was sad to see the, the grit and grind, Grizzlies go, and this clearly has been the polar opposite of that, but it's still a lot of fun. Well, look, I mean, I I was wrong about the Grizzlies. I didn't think they would be this good this year. I mean, I had them in the play-in tier, I think, which they will end up in, but I I thought they would be below 500, and they may still, but they're they're clearly better than I anticipated. And they're 15th in offense and 8th in defense. And that 8th in defense, I don't care how you're doing it by hook or by crook. That's impressive for a team this young to be that good defensively. Now, I think Jaron Jackson Jr.'s absence might be helping that along a little bit, even though offensively he's going to completely change their team, and obviously they need him. And some of it is they've just plucked a lot of the low-hanging fruit. Like, this team used to foul the bejesus out of everybody. They don't anymore. They're an average foul team. They win the possession battle every night, right? So they're a really good offensive rebounding team and a really good defensive rebounding team. They force a ton of turnovers. And they actually take care of the ball quite well on offense. So they're buying themselves like a six-possession advantage in every game. They don't shoot a lot. They actually shoot the fewest threes in the league, which is the biggest problem for them is they just have no shooting anywhere. And again, Jaron Jackson Jr. will change that for them. But of the threes they take, a lot of them are corner threes. Similarly, they give up about an average, slightly above average number of threes, but relatively few corner threes. Taylor Jenkins clearly came in and said, the corners are going to be a point of emphasis for us. Fouling, cutting our fouling is going to be a point of emphasis for us. We have the personnel to force turnovers. I mean, Dylan Brooks, my God. Being guarded by Dylan Brooks would be so freaking unpleasant. Just being fouled and hacked and bullied and guys reaching in, trying to steal things from me all the time would be awful. Um, And they force a lot of turnovers. 
Um, they, their shooting is, you know, they're our team floater. They are the official team of the floater. They take more floaters <laughs> than anyone. And there's killer they're, bread. And then the, the team of the floater, this is their ad, the team of the floater, uh, their percentage on them has declined this year because Brandon Clark shockingly could not shoot 65% on floaters for a second consecutive season. <laughs> he shot some crazy percentage last year on floaters. He's having a little bit of a down, a little bit of a disappointing, um, Second yeah, that shooting stroke. I, I, I don't. I, I know. I was surprised to see it to start the year, but it's. It was never beautiful to begin with, but I don't know what it is this year. But they just they go deep. Like Grayson Allen is starting. Doesn't look out of place as a starter. Desmond Bain, I think, is maybe a little more interesting to me than than Grayson Allen. But he's coming off the bench and playing well. DeAnthony Melton and Justice Winslow are both out, and and DeAnthony Melton has been sensational this year. Tyus Jones is rock solid. Xavier Tillman is a decent backup already as a rookie. They just don't have – they are the power of playing no bad players. or not, No one in the NBA is bad, to be clear. They are, the, they, are, they are the power of playing no relatively bad players in the NBA. They just – everyone they play is decent. Um, and, again, they just need more shooting. And, and, frankly, they need a little bit more defensive ju- – it might be time to talk about Morant's defense a little bit because he's been – Really, really not good defensively. And he's also shooting 27% on threes. Um, both of those things need to, to tick up in the right direction when the Grizzlies really play games that matter. But they're they're not there yet. And for what for Ja year two is totally fine. I, I, you'd just like to see a little bit more of those. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you bring that up. Because uh, quite frankly, it was something I was thinking even with the last team we were discussing where, um, I mean, I think it's a question for a couple of teams in the NBA where, you you wonder how fair it is to kind of criticize the guys that make everything go, particularly when it's a team that doesn't have a whole lot else. Um, so and a guy who's dealt any guy who's dealt with injury this year, absolutely. And so you know, with with Portland, I think a lot of that is true with Dame as far as the defensive stuff, um, where people will you know will kind of use that as a defense of, well, he's doing absolutely everything for us. He's getting trapped in a way that you know. In recent memory, Harden is maybe the only guy that's really faced that, you know, in Houston. Um, and yeah, I totally get it. I totally get the idea that that takes something out of you. It leaves a little bit less on the defensive end. But again, when you talk about a team that is quite frankly trying to, you know, trying to win games in a way where they're minimizing their mistakes, it does feel a little bit like a mistake to have Josh shooting, you know, in some cases four or five threes in a game where he's shooting below 30%. This is some of the stuff that. You know, granted, again, Jaws year two, and Jaws is extraordinarily fun to watch. And so, you know, you take it with a grain of salt. But, yeah, these are the sorts of things where you you have to shore those things up a little bit if you're in a playoff series, which, um, you know, you don't necessarily want to give those shots away. And, and granted, I'll have a game where he hits a couple, and he makes you feel better about it. But between that and some of the defensive lapses and just – you know how athletic the guy is. You know he can – he has the ability to kind of stand front a little bit better than what he's done. So it is interesting you bring that up, but I do think that point guards in particular, I think people are protective of them when they're not as good as they probably could be, even somewhat early um, in their careers because they, you know, when they do so much on offense, I think we look to kind of protect them. And then I think the same thing was true of Curry. We talked about him before where he's, you know, he's fine defensively now. And I think that um, other guys have the ability to get there. They just have to be pushed or, you know, maybe it's something that they learn after the first couple of years. They have a game against Dallas on Wednesday that could be an important game. They're 0-1 against Dallas. And their last game of the season 
is against the Warriors, uh, and they have split the first two games with Golden State, so that game will determine the tiebreak. Um, and J- Jaron Jackson, I can't wait till he comes back. I don't know when that's going to be, but I can't wait because although Slow Mo has shot, I think thirty seven percent from three this year, he shot the three pretty well. You know, he's slow mo. His release is slow. Everything about him is slow. He probably gets out of bed slow. Jaron Jackson Jr. is up there letting it fly. He's just a much more active, sort of fast-paced player. He's going to change the entire look and feel of their team. And I'm I'm also interested, like, will they play him at center, which is a, a look that they have sort of, you know, not leaned that hard into when he's been healthy. But that could be interesting, too. They certainly have the personnel to play him at center. I, man, I hope they play him. I hope he comes out and, and makes up for lost time with all the threes he's going to take. He's the only guy in the league that I look at and I say, if I were in the league, that's what my three-pointers would look like. They probably wouldn't go in, but I, something about him playing, like it makes me – the same way I stood up yesterday when uh, when Bridges had that dunk. I feel like I just laugh like a maniac when I watch Jaron Jackson shoot because they go in enough and they, they look crazy. You know, a lot of times they're, they're banking in or what have you, but he's just a fun dude to watch. And it's, uh, it's one of those guys where um, – his absence is really felt when you watch that team just because of how talented he is and how much money he is. Let's quickly talk about the Spurs, the last team in this group. They're currently 25 and 26. They're ninth. They have the hardest non-Rockets schedule in the Western Conference the rest of the way. They've had to make up all of those games that got postponed uh, because of the virus and the protocols earlier in the season. And their season really got derailed at that moment. They were 16 and 11 at that time. They're 9 and 15 since. Their defense has fallen off a cliff. Um, their starting five has actually been fine offensively. Defensively, not very good, but they're killing it. The starting five, their bench has been not very good, which is a very, which is rare for the Spurs that, you know, um, their bench is usually just automatic. Um, I, you know, look, they're the same old Spurs in a lot of ways. They don't turn the ball over. They don't foul. They don't shoot threes. They shoot a ton of mid range jumpers. And yet, they want you to shoot mid-range jumpers when you have the ball and not shoot threes, and which is the dissonance that has defined their last four or five years. Uh, I think, you know, I said before the second half of the season started that they were the obvious team that was at grave risk of falling out of the playoffs among the teams that were in the top seven just because of their schedule. It was not groundbreaking analysis. Their schedule was packed and packed with good teams. That's still the case. They are two games up in the loss column over the Warriors and three games up in the loss column over the Pelicans, who are coming on, uh, and they are minus 1.7 points per game. I, I think the Spurs, I think nine is their ceiling. I don't I don't think they're getting to eight. And, P, and remember, the difference between nine and eight is significant, too. All these little races within the race, like eight in the play-in and seven in the play-in, you get two chances to win once. Ninth or tenth, you got to win two straight to get into the playoffs. That's a huge difference in a small sample size. Um, I think the Spurs top out at ninth. I think they're at risk of going to 10th and even 11th just because of their schedule. This is a new team to some degree, obviously, with Aldridge gone. Pirtle's the full-time starter. Drew Eubanks off the bench. It hasn't quite worked. Um, what What is interesting? What are you watching for the, la- the last part of the season with them? I mean, it's it's interesting because kind of part of what we just talked about with Memphis is kind of the – to some extent, the growing pains and also the challenges of when you've got a young star that you're led by, the things that you kind of let go or that you kind of just, you realize it's an issue, but it's like, okay, you maybe you try to coach it a little bit, but you kind of live and die a little bit with what your young star does wrong until he figures it out or until he works it out of his game. And I, I feel like it's 
typically been the opposite with the Spurs, where, like you said, this is the same old Spurs. This is a team that knows more or less kind of how to win or what it's doing, you know, in, in close game situations. It's really interesting to watch them take down the Mavs, which, like you said before, was a second Huge loss. Win. Yeah, a big, big win for the Spurs, a bad loss for the Mavs. But watching that game and watching DeRozan take a shot, probably if you could <laughs> – I feel like if, uh, if we were playing like pin the tail on the donkey or something – he would know where to pin the tail based on mid-range. And the shot that he took yesterday to win that game yesterday, um, you know, he didn't see a second defender step up. I think Rick Carlisle said later that the plan was to double him and force the ball out of his hands. It just didn't happen. And it's interesting. It's, you know, I, part of what I look forward to with a situation like this, like they've certainly got some talent in San Antonio, but I could very much see this being given the schedule they've got. Um and given the way the team is built without Aldridge there now, that you're putting some of this in DeRozan's hands, and you're just trying to figure out, like, can you just get them over the line and get them to the promised land as far as the postseason? And part of me kind of looks forward to that. You know, we, we've talked about DeRozan before on your podcast. Um, you know, I, I, I think the way people talk about the hate for him and the stuff like that is a little bit um, probably strong. I don't think that, you know – I just think everybody's just kind of indifferent to his game right now. But he's still interesting to watch. He certainly can win games for you. He certainly can win close games for you. And the Spurs can certainly keep games close. And so it'll be interesting to see, do they have enough? Um, but I don't know. I don't really know what to make of him. I thought it was interesting, too, with um, with watching Pirtle get more time now that he got in foul trouble yesterday, um, which is something that maybe that happens a little bit more now without Aldridge there. And that, um, or not foul trouble, I'm sorry, that they, they decided to basically force him to the line. Hacky yak. Hacking him. And, uh, and so that'll be something interesting to watch too, just because you said before, the depth isn't massive with this team. And so if you can play somebody like that off the floor, what does that mean for a team like this first team? I'm, the thing I'm most interested in is this. DeRozan on the floor this season the Spurs score almost 113 points per 100 possessions, which is a top 10-ish offense. That's real good. good offense. Yeah. DeRozan off the floor, 103.5, which is what Cleveland scores, and Cleveland is the worst offense in the league. Now, you can finagle the numbers. They've been a little bit better than that, for instance, when Murray is on the floor and DeRozan is out, but it's still not good. And that's the question everyone has about the Spurs is, with DeRozan's free agency coming up, what exactly does this team have with all of their young guys, specifically on offense. On defense, I think Keldon Johnson's going to be solid. Derek White is already good and is an elite charge taker. Uh, DeJounte Murray has been all defense before. They can switch, and they can and do switch one to four. Lonnie Walker is unreliable, but is kind of a live body uh, and, and plays hard. Offensively, you know, White has leaned into shooting threes, but he's down to like 32%. Murray's at 46% on long twos, which is great, and 31% on threes and sometimes reluctant. Lonnie Walker, up and down. Keldon Johnson, up and down right now, below average. Not a ton of, like, like there's okay playmaking in there. I, I don't know that there's like a super plus playmaker in there, but all those guys are so young, it's hard to know. I just don't know what that offense looks like without DeRozan, except I can picture a lot of teams going under screens and the ball sort of moving east-west, east-west, east-west without a lot getting done until someone takes a mid-range jumper. 
Um, but again, all those guys are so young, it, it's hard to know what to make of them. And their their offense with DeRozan on the floor has been fantastic. I you know I don't know what they're going to do with Demar. So much of what the Spurs do in the next two or three years will be dependent on whether Pop is there or not. If Pop comes back next year, I could see them bringing DeRozan back because why not? I mean, he's he's their best offensive player. He's putting up the best passing numbers of his career. And if you watch the games, he gets off the ball early, a lot earlier than he ever did in Toronto. When he sees that second defender coming, he'll whip it out to the side. You guys, take it. Take it, young guys. Like, do whatever you want. Um, but that, to me, is the interesting part. And defensively, they're just eh, and they're going to be eh, and that's just all they are. Um, I'm, I'm, I'd be worried about this team slipping out of the play-in, but that, that win last night was a big stabilizer for them. And you know they're not going to beat themselves, so they'll, they'll be in it all the way. But wouldn't surprise me one bit if they missed the playoffs for the second year in a row. Yeah, it wouldn't stun me at all. I mean, I, I just think at this point, unless you've got an easy schedule, which, um, you know, if you've got an easier schedule coming up. And I think that was, for me, that was kind of my concern with Portland for a while, too. It's just looking ahead, even if you've kind of survived up till now. Um, if you've got a tough schedule coming up, you never know how it plays out, but you just wonder if the, the hill is that much higher to climb. Um, and you're at this point in the season and you're just kind of already hanging on, um, that you get a little bit more concerned as the schedule gets tougher. And so for me, you know, DeRozan, you know, it's a question of how well he can keep them afloat. Um, I was thinking randomly, I'm giving away my whole damn list of stories here. Um, I, Two of the guys I've found really fascinating over the last few years, guys that, again, maybe were written off a little bit at a certain point, whether it was their playing style, whether it was their kind of role as a top, you know, franchise-level guy. I've been fascinated for years now by Rudy Gay and, you know, his transition out of that from Memphis and then Toronto and, you know, having some good years in uh, Sacramento before he got hurt and then coming to the Spurs. And, and, you know, almost like it almost feels like two careers for the same guy. And DeRozan, you know, it, it feels a little strong to say that about him uh, because he's obviously the best player they have now still. Um, but it, it is interesting, you know, and I think Rudy Gay, when you talk about, like, where else does it come from if it's not DeRozan, I think Rudy Gay, his minutes are way, way, way down. And, uh, you know, his efficiency is down from what it has been uh, the last couple of years. But I still think that he's probably one of those secondary guys for you that, you know, maybe you rely on a little bit more heavily or ask a little bit more of them now that um, Aldridge is not there anymore. And certainly is one of the better shooters you've got on that roster, whether you're talking about mid-range or your outside shot. I like watching them. They're fun to watch because I like to imagine, you know, what are these – I'd like to let my brain wander a little bit about what are these young guys going to look like in two, three, four years? What's the what's the prognosis? And, and I don't know – but I know that that's a question they're certainly tackling internally. And, and is, is this core good enough that we can just sort of build internally? Or do we need to, do we need to think about, you know, doing some interesting stuff? And or would they ever rebuild? Like if Pop left, would they ever just go full-on rebuild? Are they already too good to go full-on rebuild? Like if you just unleash those young guys without any veteran support, let DeMar walk, what, what would they do? But um, I think they've done fine this year. I, th I think the season really turned for them, frankly, when the virus stuff happened and, and their schedule got all screwy. But, um, you know, they're just sort of trying to find it right now, and the next couple of weeks are going to be pivotal for them. Any other Spurs thoughts before we wrap up and before I make a sandwich with Dave's Killer Bread? <laughs> they're going to love you. They're going to love you after this podcast. No, no other thoughts on them. No, I'm good. 
Chris Herring, what should we look for on SI.com this week? Anything you want to pr- pump up here? Let me do something on uh, – you know what? I take that back. I'm not giving anywhere, any more of my Okay, I didn't know if anything was already up. I haven't checked it. I didn't, I didn't know no. if there was anything. Was there anything well, last week that you – was there anything last week you want to promote? Uh – no, I did something on Brunson, and then he, and then the bottom fell out for him as soon as the story went. He'll up. be fine. Jalen uh, Brunson is fearless. Yeah. He fears nothing. Slumps mean nothing to him. He's going to keep putting shots up and keep being a little fire hydrant out there. Yeah, no, that, that's about it. I did that. I did a piece on rebounding and Drummond pretty recently, kind of on what what is the value of rebounding in today's. You NBA. know, somebody from a front office sent me that piece today. So you should. That's that's that piece. Not only went around saying the, don't ever and, read this and don't ever. No, saying <laughs> saying here's why I was talking about defensive rebounding and and he he sent me that piece. I said, of course, I read Chris Herring. I saw the piece, but it's a very interesting piece. Anyway, Chris Herring, SI.com. Read everything he writes. Clearly, the NBA brain trust does as well. Mr. Herring, thank you very much. Thanks so much, man. Take care.